0: And I love this. I love the fact that your story connects you. I love the fact that when you start to answer your story and you get real, it allows for authenticity and vulnerability, it allows for you to connect. When you start asking agents, hey, tell me your story. You start asking borrowers, hey, tell me your story. You start asking people you don't even know, tell me your story. It's powerful what happens. I'll give you a recent example. Deb and I were at a hotel two weeks ago. It's the Island Hotel in Newport Beach, California. It's one of the properties we're going to hold our MasterClass elite event at, which I'll tell you more about in the days that come. We're actually at this hotel. We're just enjoying the pool. It's about 8 o'clock at night. And a guy named Josh, we had met earlier. Josh is, Josh is actually in charge of food and beverage. And he came over. Deb and I were next to the fire pit. And he came over and uh, sat down. He said, how's everything going? And we kind of told him how our experience had been, which was off the charts. And, uh, and Deb said, so, hey, Josh. Tell us your story. And he said, um, do you want my story or do you want my real story? And this is the question, the real story. And we said, we would love to know your real story. We had not known him for more than five minutes in an encounter that had happened two hours earlier at the restaurant when we arrived. And two hours later, he sits down, literally say, tell us your story. And he says, you want to know the real one? Of course, that's the only story worth what? Telling. He gets down like this next to the pool, and he sits here. And for 20 minutes, he's telling us his story. And he started off by telling us that he, you know, had a dream to to be a general manager of a hotel, and went to work at uh, the Pelican Bay or Pelican Hill Resort in Newport Beach. And uh, one night when he was uh, 21 years old, uh, he had had this great run. He had saved $80,000 pouring drinks the last two years in tips, felt invincible. And uh, and one night coming home from Pelican, uh, he got a DUI. And um, you know. You would think that would change your life fairly quickly, right? Uh, but no, he continued to tell us his story. And he's sitting here just like this the entire time, telling us his story. And, um, and, and Deb said, uh, well, how'd you get past that? And he said, no, wait, it gets better. We don't even know this guy. It gets better. And so he says, so two weeks later, I was driving home from Pelican. And I got another DUI. We don't know this guy from Adam. And he starts talking about his experience and connecting with us and telling us things that you would think you would have to know somebody for like five years. And when you think about connecting with people and you think about connecting with borrowers and and agents and you ask people you don't know, hey, what's your story? 20 minutes later, Josh and Deb and I feel like we're friends. And we thank him, he goes away. We hang for another half hour, we go up to our suite. We're not in our suite for more than 20 minutes. And we get a call from Josh. And Josh says, you know, I really enjoyed talking with you guys tonight and telling you my story, I hadn't planned on that. But um, you know, I wanna share something with you that's been very helpful to me. And if you find it can be helpful for other people that you come across, feel free to share it with them. Can I come up to your room? And I said, okay. And so, you know, when you get real with people, trust transfers, authenticity prevails, and intimacy develops, you don't fear, you engage, that was the power of what happened. And Josh came up to our suite, and he handed me this piece of paper. And he said, every day, I think about my story. And because I want it to turn out right, I just wanted to share this with you, because I read it every single day. And at the very top, it says 101 helpful tips from Josh Smith on how to stay clean and sober. And he literally shares something from his wallet. He pulls it out from his wallet and hands it to us. We are complete strangers. That's the power of the story. You know, a lot of you guys know me pretty well, you know, but if you were to pull me inside and say, hey, Todd, tell us your story, it would create a bridge between us immediately that for some of us, we don't have. It would cause a conversation that would bring you into my inner thoughts and, and, and I would share things with you that are part of my story that, you know, are unique that not everybody knows and that not, you know, maybe many people know. But if you ask me my story, I'm either going to tell you the story or I'm going to ask you, do you want to know the real story? And so if you were to ask me that, I would tell you that my origination story. Okay, I graduated college at the age of 23. There you go, you know part of my story. Right? How many of you didn't know that until just now? Everybody, of course you don't know. You don't don't even know if I graduated. Sometimes it may sound like I didn't graduate, I don't know, but I, uh, I, I, I'm 23 years old, I'm stone broke, I'm uh, li- living in one of my parents' condo rentals, um, and uh, the economy is in the tank, and the well-educated, recently graduated, intelligent me decides to get in the mortgage business. Now, when I got into the mortgage business in 1980, in September of 1980, Prime was 12 and a half. By December of that year, Prime was 21 and a half. It's never been higher that in the history of tracking Prime. 600,000 people a week were applying for unemployment. And I need to ask them if they have a job and income and how they're going to buy a house. It's crazy, consumer confidence was at the lowest level ever, with the exception of August of 2011. It has never been lower in the history of tracking consumer confidence. And I get into the mortgage business. So I borrow some money from my mom and dad, I go to JCPenney's, I get one suit, one shirt, one tie, one belt, one pair of dress socks, and one pair of dress shoes. I've never had a suit, I've never had that, and I had to go make sales calls. And I'm telling you right now, I don't have any training really, I don't have any confidence. I simply did not know what I was doing. And I don't know if you ever ever felt that way, but I didn't know what I was doing. And so I learned that I'm gonna be calling on my first office, it's a Tarbell Realty office in San Clemente, California. And so I put on my suit the first day, I got all dressed up and uh, And and I I headed down to San Clemente, where I was going to make my first sales call. And um, I get to the uh, corner where the office is, and I'm I'm a little bit fearful actually. I'm probably swearing a little bit under my breath. I'm sweating for sure, because my air conditioner my car is broken. And um, I get to the parking lot of the Tarbell office, and there are Mercedes, there are a few Rolls Royces, there are BMWs. I mean, it's a very, very affluent area. And the problem that I had with that is, I had a 13 year old Camaro jacked up with headers. The headers had holes in them, so I sounded like a dragster. Um, the vinyl roof was in such disrepair that I literally had duct tape five feet long holding the vinyl roof down so it wouldn't blow off on the freeway. And I get to the parking lot and I freak, I freeze. The economy is so bad. I mean, it's like my manager said, the only thing about the economy being good where it's at is it can only go up. And I'm thinking, okay, worst economy ever. My car is in the crapper and I'm pulling up to this office with all these and I've got Penny clothes on. We're in trouble. So I parked two blocks away. I want nobody to know that is my car. I posed for just a little. Yes, I did. I did not want people to know that my car was about ready to fall apart. And I went in and I made my first sales call. I had no idea what to do, so I asked the girl up front, what should I do? And she said, you're supposed to put your eight sheets in all the incoming mailboxes. So I did that, and that wasn't too hard, so maybe that's all there was to it. And I left the office. <laughs> but that is obviously not how my story ended, right? My story ended in a very, very unique way because I figured out that's not going to work too well for too long, right? And my story wasn't over. It was just a snapshot. Your story isn't over. It's just a snapshot. And what we have to really just understand tonight about this is you're in charge of your story. You should all be your own personal screenwriters. That's what you should be. You should spend time thinking about your story. You should spend time writing your story. You should spend time doing the things that cause your story to come to life. So my challenge for you as we go through these three and a half days together is ask people in the hallway. Ask people when you come across them. You know, ask them, what's your story? What's your story? Super powerful. Super powerful. Start asking your clients. You got people on your team, you don't even know their story and you're leading them. Ask people their story. Ask people their story. Will you do that? And will you write your own? Promise? All right, here's the second question. I told you, answer two questions and your future will change forever. Question two, how long are you going to wait for your results? How long are you going to wait for your results? This is really where it gets exciting. This is all about what if, right? Your story is about what if, your results are about what if, but the question that I want you to really ask yourself tonight is how long are you going to wait for your results? And I think what ends up happening is that we don't actually do what it takes to make the results happen in an accelerated fashion. We had 100 loan officers in Irvine, California in May of this year at our boot camp. We do two of those a year. It's reserved for 200 people a year. Um, It's a needle mover. I'll just tell you. It's a game changer. And I'm talking to these 100 loan officers about an experience I'd had with our youngest son, Matt. And um, Matt and John both knew that during the summer they had to have a job. And I told them that they had to have the job by the time the school was out. And uh, Matt and I were talking a couple days before I was actually at boot camp, and uh, I said, so how's the job hunt going? And he said, well, I think it's going pretty good. And I said, good. How many places have you applied at? And he said, one. And I'm going, okay, well, you either, you, either need to be, you either need to be really good and get that one, or you might want to apply it two or three more. And he said, okay. And I said, but before we talk about that, let me ask you a question. Um, when did you apply? So this is a Monday. Boot camp starts on Tuesday. He said, I applied on Thursday. So how did you apply? He said, I went to the, the bakery. Uh, he loves to cook. So he went to the bakery, filled out the application. So he applied on a Thursday. And I said, how many other people applied for the job? And he said, I think four or five. And I said, OK, so there's five or six of you competing for one job, right? And he said, yes. And I said, OK, so this is Monday. Um, have you followed up? He said, What? And I said, have you followed up yet? And uh, he said, no. And, um, and then I shared our nine magic words. What are they, John? I said, if, they, if you don't follow up, Matt, they're not going to follow through. They're not going to call you. you got to call them. And so this is Monday, and so we're <laughs> so cool. We're role-playing at the dinner table the phone call to the baker. And he says, Dad, I want to wait till after 4, because that way they won't answer. (laughs) And I can actually leave a message. And I said, "Okay, well, just leave me the message right now. Let's do it 10 times. And he said, "Okay." And he leaves me the message, right? So he leaves a message on Monday night. And uh, we come in and start boot camp on Tuesday. I get home Tuesday night, okay? And I said, uh, any callbacks yet? And he said, no, but I'm hoping they call back tomorrow. And I said, what should you do? And he said, follow up? I said, yeah, call him again. He said, why? And I said, because the squeaky wheel gets the oil if there's value and they like you. Be persistent, right? Don't let them think you're not interested. And so he goes ahead and leaves another message. I show up at boot camp Wednesday morning. First break, here's the text. Dad, great news. I got the job. Love you. Matt, way to go, son. So proud of you. You followed up and won. And he says, thanks for the coaching. He's 16 years old, and guess what? He did not want to wait for his results. See, when you're at the plate, it's it's either swing or watch, right? When you're there, you either have to go or you'll die. You have to close or you will not thrive. It's so clear to me about the importance of answering this question. How long are you waiting for your results? How long? Now, he's 16. There are people in this room that are 26, 36, 46, maybe 56, and you're still waiting for your results.